Okay, so good to see everybody. We're going to start. What we'll do today is we're going to read the text, and then we'll get in our catechism questions. Um, we're studying the life of Christ through a harmony of the Gospels. And today we're going to look at the harmonization between Matthew 6 and Luke 11. So if you turn to Matthew 6, let's go ahead and uh, maybe see. Is there any more Bible too? Yeah. In that drawer back there. The drawer. The drawer. The door. No, up here on the bottom. Right the down brown. there. There you go. Okay. Matthew 6? Yep. We're going to look at Matthew 6, and we'll look at verses 5 through 13. It says... Jesus said, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things that you need before you ask him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. <clears throat> Just really quickly, um, before we get turn to 11 and look at that text as well, I do want to remind you of a couple things. One of the things that Jesus reminded us of was not to pray like a hypocrite. Does anybody remember what we said the definition of a hypocrite is? A hypocrite, in, in that, that day, a hypocrite was someone who put on a mask and played a part in a play. Okay, so a hypocrite would be somebody, uh, back, in, back in that day, uh, they didn't have female act, actresses, it was all male. So if they were doing Little Red Riding Hood, somebody would put on a wolf mask and pretend to be a wolf. And some little boy would put on some uh, uh, some a cape and some ponytails to portray a girl to be Little Red Riding Hood. So by putting on this mask, they were pretending to be something that they were not. And so Jesus uses that term hypocrite in such a way as that when we pray, what is God looking at when we pray? He's looking at our hearts. And our words are a reflection of our heart. If our words are hypocritical, that means that our heart is hypocritical. So what does that mean? What would it mean to pray hypocritically? Well, you're trying to press God with your words. You're kind of barking up the wrong tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, in other words... Or even praying to impress somebody else and make them think... Good. That you, yeah. That's what he says right here. Don't pray like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. And I tell you, they've already had their reward. So, the hypocrite, when they pray, why are they praying? Are they being pray, uh, Are they praying to be heard by God? No. Who are they being praying to hear? Who do they want to hear them pray? The people around them. They want everybody to know how religious they are. All right. Sometimes I sometimes I wonder in prayers at church. Sometimes if uh, if sometimes people get a little long winded. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes when they pray, and sometimes um, I, I know that one good way uh, of gossiping in church is that the ladies like to pray and talk about all of the things going on with people as they pray. Have you ever know? Have you ever seen somebody do that? 
You know, and please pray for that woman because I know her husband's cheating on her. Like, oh. you know. <laughs> so, and and if you've ever seen that before in a, if you've ever been in a service where they take prayer requests, uh-huh. sometimes that becomes uh, that comes a gossip center, doesn't yeah. it? Oh, oh, pray for so and so because they're in the hospital. What's what's wrong with them? Well, they lost a pinky toe because of diabetes. So, yeah. and they, there'll be all kind of you know rumors and yeah. things going around. Yeah. And so the reality is, our prayer is a time to go before. God, and when we use that, and when we use that prayer time to go before men, we're doing it in the wrong way. We're seeking the wrong audience, aren't we? We're seeking the wrong audience. So Jesus is warning us not to be hypocrites. Not only can I be a hypocrite by wanting the people around me to see me praying, but there is a way that I can be hypocritical when I'm praying to God too. It can I, right? Have you ever wanted something from your parents or somebody you, you know can give you and help you with in some way and you go to them and you tell them about your situation but you don't tell them the whole situation? Because if you told them the whole situation, right, the answer might not be the same, right? I need to borrow some money and uh, I'm really down on my luck right now, but maybe you were going out and abusing uh, drugs or or maybe uh, you lost it in a card game or something, and you don't bring the part up of why you lost the money. You just want them to know you're short of money. So there's there's some false intentions in your request. And sometimes we can do that with God, can't we? Right? Well, if we haven't, if we haven't searched our soul, I guess we can. Right. Know? Yeah, so that, that's exactly right. And so we need to make sure not only should we be concerned about the audience who is hearing our prayers. We don't want to be hypocritical in the sense that we're praying so that the people around us can hear us pray. But we can also be hypocritical in the sense that if God is our audience, we can come to him being false, having false pretenses. You know, I always get the impression that the, the the things in life that I have ran into that have been real stumbling points, they've been my own doing. Most of the God's time. just opened my eyes to it. Yeah. And said, see why you did that. Okay. So we see why Jesus warns us not to be hypocritical when we pray. All right. Then he says, and not only this, how about this one? This is another way that we can... Have you ever prayed something to God and you just know praying it and he's probably not going to answer it anyhow? Have you ever done that before? Prayed and you're like, eh, he's not going to... This, this is not something he's going to answer. Right? Well, my main prayer is forgive me. <laughs> that's... Yeah, forgive me. Yeah, that's a good one to pray. But you, but, but you know, we talked about this in our first class on prayer. One of the major reasons that we don't pray... Is because no faith. No, we don't believe. We don't believe he's going to answer these prayers. So what's the point? Why even bring it up? So could there be a time in my life when I'm coming to God with my prayers in a hypocritical sense, in the sense that I'm praying like he's going to answer them, but deep down inside I don't believe he's going to answer it? Yeah, yeah, it certainly can. So, so I think they brought up a very important point. We need to be retrospective before we speak. We need to ask God to reveal our hearts and our intentions. A lot of times when we come to God and we pray to Him, we come to Him with an attitude like He's, like He's a genie. And we just come in like our Buddha that we rub His belly and get our wish. Look at number 11, verse 11. 
give us this day our daily bread. Who doubts that? Well, it's not only just the food, but it's our necessities in life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so um, let's let's uh, finish up this first paragraph, and then we'll get to that. We'll make sure we do. Matter of fact, that's going to be addressed today in our in in our catechism questions. So one of the things he warns us about is hypocritical prayer. Then he says, "Go to your room, into the private, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret." Now, uh, in the modern world that we live in, what else could be mentioned about being in private when we go to pray? Turn off your cell phone. Yeah, turn off your cell phone. Turn off the computer screen. Right? How many of y'all read your Bible and then wind up on Facebook? I do. Like, I'll be reading my Bible and then all of a sudden I'll be like, I hear ding. And I go, oh, I got a notice. And I'll, I'll stop reading my Bible. Text right? Text message. Right? Well, do you think the same thing happens when we pray? Sure. Yeah. So one of the things about going into our closet or going into our private space and getting alone with God is for that very purpose. And so, it, it, you know, back in this day, they didn't have cell phones and they didn't have phone telephones and they didn't. I wish we didn't. Right. Well, they, they, they do good at times, right? I was able to send Dave our, a PDF of our study today over the phone. So there are, they have good uses. So we need to be careful about praying hypocritically. We need to be careful about praying where we're going to be interrupted. My dog and my cat are very famous for interrupting me when I pray. Right. Yeah. And so we need to lock them in another room, even though they cry and whine, right? And get wind up breaking stuff while you're in there praying because they're mad at you, right? That's what cats do. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And they, they meow, and my dog barks and acts up and always, you know, scratches on the glass on the door. But we need to get away from the distractions. And I want all of you to do this. In the next couple of weeks, I want you, as you're working on your prayer life, I hope that everybody has been working on their prayer life some as we've been going through these three weeks of classes. I want you to take a mental note of how often you are interrupted or distracted when you try to pray. Like how many times your phone actually does ring right before you sit down to pray or how many times you think about, oh, no, I left some dishes in the sink. I need to go wash those or how many times the cat or the dog interrupt you when you're praying. All right. So make a mental note of that and you'll see that there's a lot of things in the world that don't want you to pray. Right. Well, I find that it's not so much that because I, I although I do pray daily brief, you know, prayers um, when things strike me. But at night, when I get in bed, I, I pray, and then, and then I ask the Lord for forgiveness and so on. But my mind just seems to yeah. wander off sure like enough. a puppy dog, right. you know? All right. And so what did we call Jesus' followers? What was the main term that he used? Disciples. Disciples. And what did we say that the root word of disciple is? Who remembers? What's the root word of a disciple? Discipline. Discipline, to be undisciplined. And we have to learn to discipline our minds to pray. And it's not easy. Yeah. It's no easier than discipline our body not to eat chocolate cake. But I took two bites because you guys were teasing. Oh, uh, whatever. Uh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Michael's got chocolate on his tea right now. Good. It's a, it was, but it's, I failed. But, but 
No, you, you didn't. Failed. You've lost like 30 pounds in the last couple of months. You've done fantastic. You deserve that. But you helped me celebrate my birthday. Yeah. Yeah. You deserved a piece of cake. All right. But the point being is we have to discipline ourselves because if you're not careful, you'll be eating cake every couple of hours and exactly. you're that 27-pounder to be right back well, home. Well, that's why I brought it in here. Because if we didn't eat it, I'd have to eat it. Or I'm not throwing it How many of you have ever gone at the beginning of the year and said, I'm going to take care of my body this year and I'm going to start walking every day? Right, and you get out, and for about thir- the first three days of January, you do it every time, and and then about the fourth day, it's like oh, I'll do it tomorrow, and then you try to double up the next day to make up, and then the next day you're just like oh, forget about it. I'll do it tomorrow. Right? How many how many people do you know? And I can't tell you, <clears throat> I can't tell you the number of people that. So for the last eight eight or nine years, we've been reading through the Bible every day. I post it, and people read it with me, and I can't tell you the number of people in January get on there and send me private message. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm finally going to read the Bible all the way through. And they'll stick with me for about two weeks. They'll send me a message about how excited they are about the day's reading, how it was good. And then all of a sudden, crickets. (laughs) What happens? They get to about the book of Exodus or Leviticus, and they forget about it. It's a discipline. It really is a discipline to pray or read your Bible. It's a discipline to make yourself get up on Sunday morning and go to church. It's like you're in Bible study almost every day. It's okay if you just sit back in your chair for a minute. In my mind, of it, but I need to crack open. The only difference in you and a person in the world is, well, it's a very big difference. Is you have the Holy Spirit in you to give you that desire to do it. And you're actually fighting against the desire within you. Because how many of us really walk out of here after Bible study and it's like, we're, this is a wonderful day. Like, you really feel fulfilled after you've studied the Bible, studied scriptures, talked about it, prayed, and been with friends. Brothers and sisters, right? Or how how many of us when we leave church on Sunday just we're in a wonderful mood, like you've done what you was was called you know, and commanded. Lately, even like going to work and, and Sunday, I get up very early to bring folks work, but it's changed from ah oh, I gotta get up early up, and it's I get to go here or I yeah. get to do this, like doing my receipts on a Tuesday. I don't get done my work until like twelve thirty, mm. but. This week, in my mind, it popped up, I get to do receipts today, which which means I'm getting rewarded on Friday. So things are, and it, I mean, I've been sober 12 years, so it's been, it's taken that long to shift. But of course, I've grown and learned right. the whole time, right. but it's taken that long to shift around. All right, and so... I enjoy going to church. I love going to church. I, I love being too. with my I church family. It. I try to encourage other people to do it the same thing. The church, it was having to get up extra to pick up all these folks. Right. But I will be the first to admit to you that on Sunday morning, I work till 9, 30, 10 o'clock on Saturday night. Every Saturday, I close the store. And so I usually don't get home from work till about 10. By the time I eat and decompress after work, it's 1230. Yeah. Now, I'm going to tell you, I do enjoy going to church, but when that alarm goes off at 7.30 on Sunday morning, there's a part of me that still, my physical body is going, nah, let's just stay in the bed. You know? Right? There's a part of you that wants to do that. And that requires discipline. That's when you have to tell your flesh, your spirit has to say, nope, we are getting up, we're going to get a shower. And as soon as you get up and get a shower and get your first cup of coffee down and maybe get in the car and wait, everything's fine then. Yeah, so it's just that. For it's, me, it's as soon as I yep. get in that vehicle, I'm okay. Well, it's gonna. So we need to apply this. Getting out the door. We need to apply this to our prayer lives. We need to remember that prayer is a discipline, and that we need to set time aside. We need to set a place aside for us to pray, and we need to do it with regularity. 
right? It Jim, needs I'm to be known. I pray before right. I go to bed, and it could be different times. Okay, so. Um, verse uh, verse seven. When you pray, all right. So not only are we not supposed to be like the hypocrites in verse five, but in verse seven, he says, when you pray, don't be like the Gentiles. They imagine that they will be heard for their many words. Have you ever had a kid come up to you and want to ask you for something, and they go all the way around the barn to get to the barn back to the barn door? Like they want to talk about everything in the world, right? God already knows what you need. God already knows what you're going to ask. So there's no reason in the world for you to sit there and babble on. Yeah. No, that's like uh, doing a cover page or on a resume or something, or even just a letter. Don't the shorter the letter is going to, or an email, it's going to get read. You no. got something they don't even want to. Okay. They're, they're allowed to. And so that's what we're doing to God when we put all them fillers in. So watch this. <laughs> With both the hypocrite and the Gentile, both of them had a skewed view of who was hearing them. The hypocrite thought that the people were hearing them because they were praying out where they could hear them. Their target was wrong. The Gentile thinks that God is hearing him. Why? Because of all of the words that he's saying. Like, I'll just throw it all out there and something he, I say he's going to get. But what did we say that God is looking at when we pray? Uh-huh. Our heart. Yeah. So it's not about how we dress. It's not about how we, how proper we pray. And using all, I mean, do you? How many of you know people? Um, now, the King James Bible is written in 1611, all right. And most of our modern translations do not use the these and the thous and the therefores and whithersoevers, right? That's a big word, whithersoever. <laughs> but it's in the King James English. How many of y'all have ever met anybody that's still praising King James English? Oh, I've, you know, yeah, right. And you're like, dude, this is like 2023. Like, we're not in 1611 anymore. I think that God has the capability of understanding modern language. Right. Well, you know, it's funny because I've heard somebody brought that point out to me. He says, you know, because we used to play with CDs over in Hilton Head and stuff. And, and what he said, occasionally a pre- preacher will get up and he says, and as soon as he gets up, he starts speaking in old English, you know, and it's like, Oh, here it comes. (laughs) Now, if you notice, though, when most of us quote the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, we don't use that language in in modern English, but it's because we grew up quoting that scripture that we quoted that way. There's nothing in the world wrong with quoting it, but when we speak to God, how should we be speaking to Him? From our hearts. And my heart does not speak in 1611 English. Right? Yeah. But you know, still I recycle that in my mind for this reason because I'm saying you're just playing, you're just you're just talking off the wall here to him. Of course, he knows what you're thinking and it's in your heart. But you know, get back on track and go back to this, yep. and that's part of what we're looking at this for, yep. to because we want to fulfill. What we're supposed to do and honor God is the first thing. Okay. So then he says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is this day in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us of our debts as we forgive also our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you notice, the word I is not in there at all, is it? Therefore, you pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. So it's a, it's a God-focused prayer, isn't it? And, and so, if you've ever watched a little child, me and mine, mine is one of the first, mine and know are the two words that the kid learns first. Before they even learn mommy or daddy, it's no and mine. You know? And the reality is, as we mature as human beings, our lives should become less self-centered. In other words, when I look at a kid, all they talk about is me, mine, I, I, me, me, I. As you get older, like I, if I talk to Dave, Dave would be talking to me about his grandkids. Have you ever noticed that? Like, they're my world. Right. You know? Yeah. And so in this prayer, it's not about me. It's about God and neighbor, right? Our Father, our Father, the church family. Who art in heaven, he's holy and in heaven. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Who's that about? On earth as in heaven. Give us this day. So it's it's God and neighbor centered just as much as it is about me. You think King, King James was Catholic? King James? <laughs> no. He was after Henry VIII or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think King James was Catholic. No, no, no. It was Protestant. That was all a Protestant thing. I I would have to look at the history on that. Yeah, sometime along there they changed. All the old churches in England used to be Catholic. Well, all of the but the reality is that all of the Catholic churches at that time would have had Catholic uh, Latin mass anyhow. It would all have been in Latin. They wouldn't have. They would. They would have still been using the Latin Vulgate Bible. They wouldn't even been. Matter of fact, they killed a lot of folks for taking the battle over from Latin and the common language. That's true. So, let's look really quick at 11, and then we got to finish up our catechism questions for today. Okay, so turn over with me to Luke 11. Let's look at this other passage where Jesus is talking. We don't get the preface. We don't get the don't pray like the hypocrites or the Gentiles go in your room. We don't get all of that. But he, Jesus has said in uh, Luke 11, 1, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. So there must have been something about Jesus' prayer that was very special, right? That was very sincere and very, like, um, I've been in the presence of people who have, I, I sincerely felt prayed like that. It was like, wow, this person, like, really believes what they're praying here. Like, this is a sincere prayer. And it's like, man, I wish I could pray like that, right? The truth of the matter is, if you if you'll watch... You can almost guarantee that if a person does not like to pray, like in other words, if you're in a church service, and most of our churches don't do this. Uh, the, the, I know your Presbyterian churches don't do this. But in a lot of the independent Baptist circles I grew up in, it would be like, Brother John, why don't you lift us up in prayer? And it would be, they'd call on somebody from out of the congregation to pray. you know, And that person would pray. And so the reality is is that you'll find there are people that are very hesitant about praying out loud and praying in front of other people. 
And you'll also find other people that when they pray, they stutter and they don't really know how to pray. They get nervous. Right. Well, I would be willing to bet you that generally our public prayer life will be a confession of our private prayer life. If I am comfortable going to the Lord privately, then when I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'll be comfortable going to Him too. You see what I mean? So... In other words, you preach in what you practice. Most people that have trouble praying in public, most people that are unwilling to pray in public are also people that have trouble praying in private and are unwilling to pray in private. All right? It's a reflection of what's going on at home. Right? If I if I call on somebody to read, if I call on somebody to read out the scriptures, I say, "Hey Lori, will you read, you know, Luke chapter 4 for us?" And we get there, and we and Lori gets to Luke chapter four. She opens it up. She looks, and uh oh, this is Jesus's genealogy. It's the so and so begot so and so and so and so. And then she staggers through all of those names. Now I'm not gonna say Lori would do that. I think she would pronounce them all right, right? Not all of them. Not all of them, all right? But if you've ever seen anybody have to read something like, especially if it's an Old Testament and it's going through a bunch of them crazy names that we don't, right? But you'd give it a go. But you'll notice that a lot of people stagger through them. They can't say them or they, they mispronounce them. Well, what does that tell you? They hadn't heard them before. They, they, they're unfamiliar with them. If they're unfamiliar with them, what does that tell you? No. That when they were reading their Bibles on their own personal private time, either they A, skipped over them, or B, they just didn't pay them any attention. Well, or when you are, when you're reading some the of the old, you know, first uh, parts of the Bible, I do have a tendency if someone's a guy, someone's you know, like you skip over it. Yeah, you know. You can't say their name. Now, I'm bringing that up for a point. One of the points is this. All the scriptures are inspired by God, so those names are important. Right, one day you're going to run into Obadiah. One day in eternity you're going to run into Obadiah. We even know him when we right? see him. Right. Or... Uh, or Jeter, or uh, I'm trying to think of something. Uh, Muppum and Huppum. Them are two of my favorite names. Who? And Jensen. Muppum, M-U-P-P-I-M, and Huppum, H-U-P-P-I-M. I can't wait to meet those two guys when I get to heaven because I think that's just cool names. Huppum and Muppum. But, <laughs> but the point being is... The point being is you're going to run into these people <laughs> and if you've never been able to pronounce their names, you're going to be like, oh, I didn't know how to pronounce your name. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. A lot of that stuff is boring. And a lot of that stuff is detailed. And a lot of that stuff is things that we're not very familiar with ourselves. But there's nothing in the wrong in the world with making yourself familiar with them. One of the things that I could suggest to you that helped me a lot was uh, I would get the Old Testament. I w- I'd get the whole Bible on audio and I would listen to it mm-hmm. as somebody reads it to me. And by hearing somebody else following along with the words as somebody else is pronouncing it, it would help me to slow down and pronounce the names. You see? And then you get more familiar with them. Now, are there still names that I run across and they twist my tongue? Yes. Because it's a different culture, a different language, a different people. But the point being is we should be familiar with them. All right. Now, I I brought all of that up. We went down a a Lori rabbit hole for me to make the point (laughs) that our prayer life could be the same thing, couldn't it? If we're not familiar with doing it, if we're not familiar talking with God and using proper prayer language to talk to Him, then in public I'm probably going to stumble too. Well, I got one of those books. 
that says, you know, the names of everything in the Bible. You know, how to pronounce all the names of names of people and places. You know, and, they, and it comes out in the beginning. It says, you know, when you go hear somebody preach or something like that, and they stumble over the names of these places and these names, he says, how confident are you in what they're saying? Well, what it tells you is they hadn't studied that week because if they run across a name that they're unfamiliar with, it means they hadn't chased that name down and figured out what it was about or who it was or, you know, or a, mm-hmm. a, a, a land or something. I mean, that's important stuff to know, for especially for a preacher who's yeah. preaching it. But, again, we need to make sure that we are familiar with the Word of God and comfortable with it in the same way we need to be familiar with prayer and comfortable with it. It, they, those are both disciplines that are required of us. Well, it's, it's, and if we are practicing that discipline, it's going to show in our lives the same way as Lori eating salad every day for a year. It showed yeah. that, that discipline showed in her life, didn't it? Yeah. What she did, she lost 27 pounds. It showed. And she ate, but 100. Oh, yeah, she weighed a buck of five now, but anyhow. All right. So Jesus said... Uh, Lord, or the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. So he said, when you pray, wherever you, whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Now, how long did that prayer last? Not that long. But I Ten seconds. Yeah. And it was everything that needed to be said. <coughs> but, you know, you, you, you... Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say... Really, if you, for me, the thought just came into my head. When you're reading the Bible, you really should be in touch with God. I mean, it's not it's not this is a a, a um, um, what's the word uh, a word you know you just study you're studying. It's not a manual. Right, it's not a manual. It's not a a, a, a intellectual pursuit. It's a communication with God. Well, but he he does communicate with our minds, so there is an intellect involved. Oh yeah, yeah there are. But, I, but what I'm saying is, it's not a, you know, a, it's not, it's not. You want the knowledge. I'm not saying it right, but anyhow, it, I'm saying that when you're reading the Bible, you really should be kind of in tune. Sure, no doubt. And it takes the, it takes the Holy Spirit to be in tune. One think. of the things I've started recently was just. I might get up in the morning and start my morning and, and not pray or anything, but, it's, but at some point I'll say, God be with me. Just just be with me today. Just come with me. You know, and, and like, he's he's there looking over my shoulder and guiding me, you know. And uh, the same yes, thing do the Bible. I wanted to make a comment about um, in Matthew 6, chapter 12, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And we're praying... Especially at our Christian recovery meeting, we say the Lord's Prayer at the end. I always emphasize as we have forgiven others because I used to say that and it was mechanical. And I was saying that as we also have forgiven our debtors. But I hadn't forgiven my debtors. And a lot of people just say it through as they're saying the prayer. And we really need to focus on that. That, that, um, Forgiveness that we're not granting is a weight on us. And it's a hindrance to our prayer life, too, isn't it? It is. It is. It's really, really important. That part is really, really important. So, and we also need to remember this about that. That's very important. Well, um, we were going to get that here in a few minutes. I'll go ahead and bring that up now. It's okay. Um, 
God does not forgive you because you forgive others. Like, in other words, His gracious forgiveness is not a merit for you forgiving. But if you have been forgiven by Him, your expression of forgiveness is going to be an acknowledgement of that. In other words, if you truly understand what He's forgiven you for, then you're going to be willing to allot that same forgiveness to others. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Our forgiveness should be a breathing expression of our thanks to God for his forgiveness of us. And we don't have to carry a grudge. When, we, with, with when, we, withhold, when we withhold forgiveness to other people... It blocks us from him. Yeah, well, it, not only that, but it causes us to forget... It causes us to forget what he did for us so that we could be forgiven. Yeah, who are we not to forget? He died to himself to live for others. And forgiveness is exactly that. It's dying to yourself. It's not about you anyhow. Mm-mm. It's about others. And so we need, to, we need to understand that. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead and get into our last catechism question. Because we do want to finish up this, this. This is our third week of this class. And I do want to get on to another subject. Next week will be the last week I'll be with you all for the month. But... So last time we were together, we learned um, why prayer was necessary. It was because God commands it of us and that it's an expression of our thankfulness. Remember, we talked about that. Um, What is required for us to pray in a way that pleases God? We need to pray the things that he's commanded us. Um, It needs to be done with true desires and affections. Um, as well as our inward feeling of need and misery. We need to be willing to cast ourselves prostrate into his presence. Um, and to build ourselves on a sure foundation that even though we are unworthy, He answers our prayers for His His Son's sake. Um, we talked about how we pray through the uh, by the Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit. Through the Son, He intercedes for us with the, and we're praying to the Father. So God, we pray through God the Spirit, by God the Spirit, through God the Son, to God the Father. Right. Then we talked about how um, what things are is it that God has commanded us to ask of Him all things necessary for both soul and body, which our Lord Christ is comprised in the prayer that He taught us. And then we talked about that prayer today. Uh, the prayer is, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And when, again, when we talk about that forgiveness thing, um, I, I want you to remember this. I've used this uh, uh, illustration or lesson in the past in some of my classes, especially working in drug and alcohol uh, and mental treatment facilities. Um, I've asked people at the beginning of the class to think of the one person that really ripped their life apart, like the one person who really hurt them. Mm. You know, and immediately everybody goes to somebody. Yeah, like you. My ex. Yeah, well. <laughs> right. But you automatically go to somebody, and it may be somebody that physically abused you when you was a kid. It may go to somebody who took advantage of you as a teenager. It may go to somebody who an ex that took advantage of you in a marriage anything but immediately when you start thinking about who are the people that really hurt me the worst immediately you think of someone Mm -hmm. like someone comes to mind 
Well, I have to sift them out, but I can get to a bottom there pretty quick. And so when we start thinking, right? Oh, yeah, sure, there is a lot of them. But the reality is this. And so, and we would teach the class about forgiveness. And then at the end of the class, I would say, now, I want you to think about that person that you were that you had at the beginning of the class. I want you to think about that person. You, you got them in your mind, and they'd say, yeah. I say, okay. I said, now, if that person was truly brokenhearted about what they had done to you, like if God really convicted them of how bad they hurt you, and they recognized how bad they hurt you, and they fell on their face today and prayed and asked God to forgive them for what they did to you, what would God do? And what is the answer? He would immediately forgive them. If they truly came to God in repentance for what they had done to you, God would forgive them. And the reality is, is that by you not forgiving that person, you're being a judge over that person. You're saying you're not worthy of my forgiveness. Which is something that God would never say to a truly repentant person. There's someone who is truly broken in heart that comes to him. And so the suggestion that I would have for you is stop playing God. Stop being a judge over that person's life. The reality is, is that in 50% of those cases of the people you're thinking of, 50% of them don't even know they really hurt you that bad. Mm-hmm. Like they've gone on living their life and you have not crossed their mind at all. For others that truly do know that you've hurt them, that they've hurt you, they probably have been hurt in their life the same way that they hurt you because that's usually our human nature is that when I get bit, I bite somebody else. And so Jesus says, do unto others as you would have done unto you. But in our fallen human nature, most of the time, we do unto others as we have had done unto us. You see how that works? And so to truly be forgiving is to know God's forgiveness in my life for the things that I have done against Him, which is horrible. And to be willing to admit those things to Him, to recognize that His Son poured His blood out on that cross so that I could be forgiven for them. And then to realize that God's blood is shed even for some of my worst enemies. And that's between them and God, not me. So I let it go. You know the let go and let God kind of thing? Well, that would be a very good example of letting go and letting God. You let God deal with it. Because here's the reality. If they never repent of what they did to you, and they stand before His judgment throne and answer for it, He's going to throw them into hell for it. And that's way worse punishment than you could ever put on that person. Say that again. If that person, let's just say that a person, I, I don't know, Give me an example of something. Steals, you know, Sorry, takes Paul. all of your life saving and runs off with it. They steal all your money. Is is thou shalt not steal? Is that one of God's commandments? Sure. Yes. If you break that commandment, are you required by God to answer for breaking that commandment? Yes. The wages of sin is death. The reason that people get thrown into hell is because they pay for their sins. If that person never confesses to God. If they never turn to God in true repentance and seek His forgiveness in their life, then what does that tell you about the person? Now, I'm not just talking about just stealing the money from you. I'm talking about in general repenting and turning away from sin itself and turning to God. What does that tell you about that person? They're unregenerate. Unregenerate. They're not saved. And so at the judgment, everything that they've ever done in their life, that we're all going to stand before the judgment and we're all going to answer for every thought, word, and deed we've had. Thankfully, if we're a child of God, our sins are under the blood. And we have been forgiven for those things. But there are people who will stand at that judgment that will answer for well, things. Let me ask this question. And what's he going to do? He's going to send them into hell. 
if, you know, I've certainly said more times than I can remember. But we're covered anyhow. If you're totally repentant, I mean, right. if you're praying for your, the sins that you can remember, and then you should say, well, the others must have been not that serious. I mean, I, I would want to repent for them. Well, you know what I'm saying? Well, they're all serious because which one of your sins did Jesus not die on the cross to forgive you for? He died for all. That's exactly right. They're all serious. They but all cost I'm, him. What I'm saying is you can't remember them all. But that's, that's very true. We are sinners. There's no doubt about that. And but the ones that, he, that he, the Holy Spirit brings to mind, we should confess. And the, uh, and the reality is, is when he died on the cross, he died to pay for all of my sins. I'm positionally justified. Not only did he die to pay for all of my sins, but he also lived the life that I couldn't. So what is it that's getting me into heaven? The life that he lived and the death that he died. That's what's getting me into heaven. Mm-hmm. But the truth of the matter is, is that even as Christians, even as a child of God, even with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, are we guilty of sin? Well, I know that being grumpy about getting up on Sunday morning and going to church is a sin. Right? Like, yeah. that's sinful. That's something I should confess of and ask forgiveness for. Uh, and the reality is that because I'm a child of God, I will pray and ask for forgiveness for those types of things. Now, uh, does everything that I do that's sinful come to mind when I do it? No. Sin is so engrafted in me that I, I do sinful things and don't even realize I'm doing it. But for the unrepentant, for the one who is not covered in the blood of Christ, they will answer with eternal destruction. They will uh, uh, answer with eternal damnation. Are, you see? Are there really people out there that are not sorry for anything? Yeah, well, uh, psychopaths are... Well, okay, they have a class, but I mean, what, what did Jesus get curious when he said, "Me and my house will follow the Lord"? He said, "Me and my house will." That was in the Bible several different times. Jeremiah thinks that too. Ask for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It was Joshua. Joshua. Does it cover everybody in his house, his slaves? Well, he's speaking for his house as the head of his house. So, again, we need to realize that when it comes to forgiveness, we need to be willing to forgive others in the same way that Christ has forgiven us. And our willingness to forgive others will be expressed in exactly the same measure as we understand his forgiveness of us. Like, there's no limit on his forgiveness to me. Therefore, there should be no limit to my forgiveness of others. Now, is that every day the case? No. Right? I get aggravated with my coworkers all the time. They're the sorriest people on the face yeah, of the earth. I bet you don't hold right? a grudge. You might be mad at that. I get, I get pouty. They leave work and they don't finish their jobs. They do half-baked uh, jobs. You know, they don't do their work. They don't work hard. But the reality is I'm never going to answer for any of those people. But there are times in my life where I leave stuff undone and I do. I, I cut corners. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so my focus should be on me being forgiven for the times that I cut corners, not my focus being on them for what they're doing. Now, why do I get angry? Because a lot of times I have to do their work to cover for what they have not done. But but then, so what do I think? Well, Jesus died on a cross to cover a lot of the things that I should have done and a, a lot of things that I shouldn't have done. He did a lot of work on that cross for me to cover a lot of my lack of work on my part. 
So I should apply that in my work life. Like I should be forgiving of other people. Not again all grumpy and pouty. Just understand that's human nature and people are just people. But it's hard to do. It's not like it's easy. But I I think, so to finish up that thought and to get back into the catechism questions, I think Lori brought up a very important point. Unforgiveness can definitely be a hindrance to our prayers. All right? Okay. So let's uh, see. Um, uh, uh, Question 138. Are Christians tied to this very form of prayer? In other words, is this the exact prayer that we have to pray every time we pray? No. All right, so rote prayers are not ever commanded in Scripture. Matter of fact, Jesus said that. He said, "Don't put that." Um, the people think that they will be heard for their repetition of words, like they say the same prayer over and over again, thinking that that's going to help them out. Like the Lord's prayer. Right. So nothing in the world wrong with court, quoting the Lord's prayer. I suggest that most churches in a corporate setting do that often. Right. They do that. I know y'all do that every Sunday night. Right. And it should be done, but. Uh, we do that because we want to hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him. We don't do that so that then the rest of the week I can go home and pray that exact prayer all week and that's my whole prayer life. Right? Right. Okay. What is the fourth petition? Give us this day our daily bread. We ask <clears throat> that you give us everything which is needful for life, that by these things we may acknowledge and confess you to be the only fountain from where all good things flow. We also confess that all our care and industry and even your own gifts are unfavorable and harmless to us unless you bless them. Grant that turning our trust away from all creatures, we place our rest in you alone. Uh, So, what is he saying there? Uh, He's saying, give us this day our daily bread. Number one, we recognize that God is the source of all of the things that we need. And we're coming to him recognizing our need. And asking him to be our supply, right? One of my favorite verses is that what Philippians 4:19. We know that God will, uh, how does it go? Uh, provide all of our needs. We know that God will provide all of our needs according to His riches in heaven in Christ Jesus. So God is willing and able, able. <laughs> God is willing and able to provide everything that we need, and He only wants us to come to Him and ask for those things. All right. Uh, you'll notice that uh, question 145 is not in bold. It's right under that. I didn't separate it out. It says, what is the fifth petition? A forgiveness of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. On the basis of the blood of Christ, do not impute unto us, most miserable and wretched sinners, any of our offenses or the corruption which still cleaves to us. By your grace in our hearts, we sincerely propose, uh, purpose, and pardon and forgive all others who have offended us. All right? So, uh, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So, what does it mean to say on the basis of the blood of Christ? Do not impute to us, most miserable and wretched sinners, any of our offenses or the corruptions which we still cleave to. What are we asking God to do? Cover us in His blood. His shed blood. Uh, in Him we have redemption through His blood and forgiveness of sin, right? That's what the Scripture says. So through His shed blood, our sins are covered. And it said, by grace in our heart, your heart, we sincerely purpose to pardon and forgive all of those who have offended us. So in the same way that God is willing to forgive us, we are commanded to be willing to forgive others. And if we don't, this can definitely be a hindrance to our prayer life. Alright? The sixth petition... What does it say? It says, 
lead us not into temptation. Is this something we should be praying every day? Oh, yeah. Lead us not into temptation because, Lord, I'm very good at finding it on my own. I don't need any help, right? But deliver us from evil. We are feeble and weak by nature. We cannot stand one moment without our most deadly enemy, Satan, the world, and our flesh incessantly attacking and assaulting us. Therefore, uphold, establish, and strengthen us by the might of your spirit that we may not be in the spiritual combat yield as conquered but victorious. Uh, withstand our enemies both stoutly and consistently until we get full and perfect victory. Now, when will we have full and perfect victory over sin? When we have our glorified bodies, when we get a new body to go along with our new spirit, and we get a new heaven and a new earth to live in, right? Because what is he? It's very important for us to see this in that that passage. What are the three enemies that we're constantly fighting against? Can somebody see them? Satan. That's one. What's the second one? The world. Look at them. The world. And who's the third enemy? Who's the third enemy, Lori? Myself. Yourself. Your flesh. Right? So, you're fighting against three enemies all the time. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And there's a constant battle going on. How are we supposed to fight against the devil? What's the cure to fighting against the devil? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Alright, we'll resist the devil with truth. Alright, what is the what is the answer for the world? Stay around God's people. Huh? Stay around God's people. Stay around God's people? What is the answer to defeating the world? To what? Jesus. To defeating the world. Jesus. He's Jesus. He has the answer. But what what are we commanded to do? You are of the world, but not you are in the world, but not of the world. Uh, flee the wrath to come. God's destruction is coming upon this world, and what are we supposed to do? Flee. All right. So, can you think of some people in the Old Testament had to flee? Yeah, from Sodom Okay. So, so that's right. How was Lot able to defeat the world? Run from it. How was Moses? Uh, how was Noah and his family able? To defeat the world. Get out of here. Run. Get out of it. That's exactly right. So what is the so what is the answer for the child of God to defeat the world? Put it behind. Run. Run away from the world. And don't look back. And then and then the last one, and not least, probably the most powerful of all three of them, is our own sinful nature. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave said it earlier in the very beginning of our class. A lot of times we blame the devil for things that he's done, but reality is we gave him all the tools he needed to work with, didn't we? Yeah. I said crucify yourself. That's it. Good. Yeah. Very good. The, the answer to the flesh is I am crucified with Christ, and so die to the flesh. Right? Yeah. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ that lives in me. <clears throat> so... When we're praying and asking God to lead us not into temptation, who are the three enemies we're confronting when we give Him that prayer? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Alright, and we can pray that all day. So if I pray and say, Oh God, please deliver me from Satan, right? Yeah. Well, how am I supposed to fight Satan? By resisting him with the truth. I stand in the truth and 
It's not us running around and casting the devil out over everybody and rebuking the devil and telling him to be quiet. It's fighting him with truth. What is the Bible? The sword? The sword, yeah. Jesus said when the, when the devil confronted uh, Jesus and tried to tempt me, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written, get behind me, Satan. So think about that. To say, get behind me, Satan, what am I doing? I'm gone. <laughs> right? I'm headed the other way. So I'm praying. I'm asking to uh, uh, help God help me to stay away from the devil. Right? Flee the devil. Get out of the world. Now, if I pray and say, oh, God, help me to escape this world, and then I go home and flip the porn on on my television, right? I'm not really, I'm not really conducive to my prayer being answered, am I? Why? Because I'm saying one thing with my mouth and my heart is saying something completely different. Mm-hmm. All right. Huh? You ever watch exorcism? You seen that, the part where that, uh, that priest put out the Bible to the girl that was laying on the bed? Yeah, that's Hollywood. Yeah, that's Hollywood. Yeah. So, the world, the flesh, and then we de- de- defeat our own flesh, we crucify the flesh. All right. Um, so, in praying, lead us not into temptation. That's what we're doing. We're asking God to help us in our battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. All right. Last question, and then oh, well, we got two questions. Now. How should you conclude your prayer? Your king, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. We ask and crave all of these things because you are our king and almighty, and are willing and able to willing and able to give us these things. We ask these things that your holy name alone may receive glory. So when God answers our prayers, it is for our good and His glory, right? And is he willing and able to answer our prayers? Yes, as long as they are according to his command, right? As long as, again, we've been given this structure now through the Lord's Prayer to know these are the things and the reasons why we need to be praying. All right? Last thing. What do the final words, Amen, mean? What is it? Huh? So be it. So be it. Let it be, right? Let it be. Let this be true. Amen, Amen. The thing is sure and not to be doubted. Now, I read that and I can't tell you the number of times that I've prayed for things and immediately after I prayed, I was like, he ain't answering this. I've doubted things that I've prayed before. Well, yeah, but it depends on what you prayed for. Yeah. You I, know, I, like I need a new car, would I you? I need a new Lamborghini, yeah. About <laughs> right. So, this is so because my prayer is much more certainly heard by God then I feel in my heart that I desire things for him. All right, I want you to read that again with me. Look at what it says. This is very important. When we say amen, what we're saying is what I've just prayed should not be doubted. Okay? What that means is that if my prayer has been according to these standards that we've gone over for the last three weeks, when I say amen, I should be sure that God is able and willing to grant them because they are according to these standards. Okay? And not only that, listen to what it says, because my prayer is much more certainly heard by God than I feel in my heart. That's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? God has heard my prayers in ways that even my heart, even I don't even feel in my heart, He's heard my prayer. So we have a God who is willing and able to answer our prayers and He is willing and able to answer our prayers for our good and His glory. 
And so everything that we've talked about these last three weeks in, in this class, hopefully everything was glorifying to God and edifying to the body. And I prayerfully pray that we will all put these things to practice in our life. Okay? All right. So let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. And then we will call it a day. Ma'am? Please include Kim Washington. Kim Washington. All right. Father, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the time, this last three classes we've had uh, on learning how to pray and what we should pray. And, and I pray that you will help us to all see the areas in our life where we fall short of these things because there's not a one of us in this room, including me, that don't. I know that we all take advantage of you. We all pray doubting. We all pray and ask for things that we want instead of things that we need. Um, Much of our prayer life is about us and not about you and our neighbors. And so, Father, I pray that in the coming weeks, coming days, you will help us to consider um, the privilege and the joy we have of being able to pray to you. And I pray that you will help all of us to work on our discipline to pray to you. I pray that you will take the things that we've learned in this class through your word. Uh, and through these discussions and use them to um, build us up in your kingdom to help us to be conformed to the image of your son. Uh, In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.